Chapter Six of Dawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. Dawn by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Six. Lights out. And so Keith waited through the summer and into another winter. And April came. Keith was not listening to Susan's rhymes and jingles now nor was he tramping through the woods in search of the first sign of spring. Both eyes had become badly affected now. Keith knew that, and the fog had come. Keith had seen the fog for several days before he knew what it was. He had supposed it to be really fog. Then one day he said to Susan, Where's the sun? We haven't had any bright sun for days and days, just this horrid old foggy fog. Fog? Why, there ain't any fog, exclaimed Susan. The sun is as bright. She stopped short. Keith could not see her face very clearly. Keith was not seeing anything clearly these days. Nonsense, Keith. Of course the sun is shining, snapped Susan. Now don't get silly notions in your head. Then she turned and hurried from the room. And Keith knew, and he knew that Susan knew. Keith did not mention the fog to his father. Dad did not like disagreeable subjects, but somebody must have mentioned it, Susan perhaps. At all events, before the week was out, Keith went with his father again to Boston. It was a sorry journey. Keith did not need to go to Boston. Keith knew now. There was no one who could tell him anything. Dad might laugh and joke and call attention to everything amusing that he wanted to. It would make no difference. Besides, as if he could not hear the shake in Dad's voice under all the fun, and as if he could not feel the tremble in Dad's hand on his shoulder. Boston was the same dreary round of testing, talk and questions, hushed voices and furtive glances, hurried trips from place to place, only this time it was all sharper, shorter, more decisive, and there was no operation. It was not the time for that now, the doctor said. Moreover, this time Dad did not laugh or joke or even talk on the homeward journey. But that, too, made no difference. Keith already knew. He knew so well that he did not question him at all. But if he had not known, he would have known from Susan the next day, for he found Susan crying three times the next forenoon, and each time she snapped out so short and sharp about something so entirely foreign from what he asked her that he would have known that Susan knew. Keith did not wonder how many months it would be. Some way he had an idea it would be very few now. As long as it was coming he wished it would come and come quick. This waiting business. On the whole he was glad that Susan was cross, and that his father spent his day shut away in his own room with orders that he was not to be disturbed. For, as for talking about this thing, it was toward the last of July that Keith discovered how indistinct were growing the outlines of the big pictures on the wall at the end of the hall. Day by day he had to walk nearer and nearer before he could see them at all. He wondered just how many steps would bring him to the wall itself. He was tempted once to count them, but he could not bring himself to do that. So he knew then that in his heart he did not want to know just how many days it would be before. But there came a day when he was but two steps away. He told himself it would be in two days then, but it did not come in two days, it did not come in a week. Then, very suddenly, it came. He woke up one morning to find it quite dark. 
For a minute he thought it was dark. Then the clock struck seven, and it was August. Something within Keith seemed to snap then. The long, pent strain of months gave way. With one agonized cry of, Dad, it's come, it's come, he sprang from his bed, then stood motionless in the middle of the room, his arms outstretched. But when his father and Susan reached the room, he had fallen to the floor in a dead faint. It was some weeks before Keith stood upright on his feet again. His illness was a long and serious one. Late in September, Mrs. McGuire, hanging out her clothes, accosted Susan over the backyard fence. I heard down at the store last night that Keith Burton was going to get well. Of course he's going to get well, retorted Susan with emphasis. I knew he was all the time. All the same, I think it's a pity he is. Mrs. McGuire's lips came together a bit firmly. He's stone blind, I hear, and my John says— Well, what if he is? demanded Susan almost fiercely. You wouldn't kill the child, would you? Besides, seeing is only one of his facilities. He's got all the rest left. I reckon he'll show you he can do something with him. Mrs. McGuire shook her head mournfully. Poor boy, poor boy. How's he feel himself? Has he got his senses, his real senses yet? He's just beginning to. The harshness in Susan's voice betrayed her difficulty in controlling it. Up to now he ain't sensed anything much. Of course, part of the time he ain't known anything, just lay there in a stupid. Then other times he's just moaned of, of, of the dark, always the dark. At first when he talked, seemed to be walking through the woods, and he'd tell all about what he saw, the purple sunsets and dancing leaves, and the merry little brooks hurrying down the hillside, till you could just see the place he was talking about. But now, now he's coming to full conscientiousness, the doctor says, and he don't talk of anything, only, only the dark and pretty quick he'll know. And yet you want that poor child to live, Susan Betts? Of course I want him to live. But what can he do? Do? There ain't nothing he can't do. Why, Miss McGuire, listen, I've been reading up. First I felt as you do, a, a little. I, I didn't want him to live. Then I heard of somebody who was blind, and what he did, he wrote a great book. I've forgotten its name, but it was something about paradise paradise and he was in prison too think of writing about paradise when you're shut up in jail and blind at that well i made up my mind if that man could see paradise through them prison bars with his poor blind eyes then keith could and i was going to have him do it too and so i went down to the library and asked miss hemingway uh, for a book about him and i read it and then she told me about more and more folks that was blind and what they had done and I read about them, too. Well, gracious me, Susan Betts, if you ain't the limit, commented Mrs. McGuire, half admiringly, half disapprovingly. Well, I did. And, why, Miss McGuire, you hain't any inception of an idea of what those men and women and, yes, children did. Why, one of them wasn't only blind, but deaf and dumb, too. She was a girl, and now she writes books and give lecturings and, oh, uh, everything. Maybe. I ain't saying they don't. But I guess somebody else has got to do a part of it. Look at Keith right here now. How are you going to take care of him when he gets up and begins to walk around? Why, he can't see to walk or, or feed himself or anything. Has the nurse gone? Susan shook her head. Her lips came together grimly. 
No, goes next week, though. Land's sake, but I hope that woman is expulsive enough. Them entrained nurses always cost a lot, I guess. But we've just had to have her while he was so sick. But she's going next week. But what are you going to do? You can't tag him around all day and do your other work, too. Of course, there's his father. His father? Good heavens, woman! I wonder if you think I trust that boy to his father," demanded Susan indignantly. Why, once, let him get his nose into that paint box, and he don't know anything, not anything. Why, I wouldn't trust him with the baby rabbit, if I cared for the rabbit. Besides, he don't like to be with Keith, nor see him, nor think of him. He feels so bad. Huh. Well, if he does feel bad, I don't think that's a very nice way to show it. Not think of him, indeed. Well, I guess he'll find someone has got to think of him now. But there, that's what you might expect of Daniel Burton, I suppose, moonin' all day over those silly pictures of his. As my John says— They're not silly pictures, cut in Susan, flaring into instant wrath. He has to paint pictures in order to get money to live, don't he? Well, then let him paint. He's an artist, an extinguished artist, not just a common storekeeper. Mr. McGuire, it might be mentioned in passing, kept a grocery store. And if you're artistical, you're different from other folks. You have to be. Nonsense, Susan. That's all bosh, and you know it. What if he does paint pictures? That hain't ought to hinder him from taking proper care of his own son, had it? Yes, if he's blind. Susan spoke with firmness and decision. You don't seem to understand at all, Miss McGuire. Mr. Burton is an artist. Artists like flowers and sunsets and clouds and brooks, they don't like disagreeable things. They don't want to see them or think about them. I know it's that way with Mr. Burton. Before, when Keith was all right, he couldn't bear him out of his sight, and he was going to have him do such big, fine, splendid things when he grew up. Now, since he's blind, he can't bear him in his sight. He feels that bad. He just won't be with him if he can help it. But he ain't forgetting him. He's thinking of him all the time, I know. And it's telling on him. He's looking thin and bad and sick. You see, he's so disappointed when he'd counted on such big things for that boy. Hm. Well, I'll risk him. It's Keith I'm worrying about. Who is going to take care of him? Susan Betts frowned. Well, I could, I think. But there's a sister of Mr. Burton's. She's coming. Not Nettie Colebrook. Yes, Miss Colebrook, that's her name. She's a widow and hain't got anything needin' her. She wrote and offered, and Mr. Burton said yes, if she'd be so kind. And she's coming. When? Next week, the day the nurse goes. Why, what makes you look so queer? Do you know Miss Colebrook? No, Nettie Burton Colebrook. Well, I should say I did. I went to boarding school with her. Huh. Susan threw a sharp glance into Mrs. McGuire's face. Susan looked as if she wanted to ask another question, but she did not ask it. Huh. She grunted again, and turned back to the sheet she was hanging on the line. There was a brief pause. Then Mrs. McGuire commented dryly, I notice you ain't doing no rhyming today, Susan. Ain't I? Well, perhaps I ain't. Some way they don't come out now so natural and easy-like. What's the matter? Ain't the machine working? Susan shook her head. Then she drew a long sigh. Picking up her empty basket, she looked at it somberly. Not the way it did before. Some way there don't seem anything inside of me now, only 
dirges and funeral marches everywhere all day everything i do and everywhere i go i just hear keith's blind keith's blind till it seems as if i just can't bear it with something very like a sob susan turned and hurried into the house End of chapter 6